like to just pause and, and ask the Lord to um, do what he does. We open his word and, and we want understanding and so we need a spirit for that. Uh, we open his word and, and we want to be um, kind of punched by it, right? We want to see ourselves clearly for who we are and we understand that we are masters of our own self-deception. And so we want the Lord to make his word clear to our hearts and make ourselves clear and who he is and how we should respond to what he would have for us. So if you would just bow with me again, that we're just going to start our time together uh, and ask the Lord to uh, fill us with a sense of his pursuing of us and inviting us in uh, to who he is. Lord, we, we understand that this is a busy time of year. We understand, Lord, that we have very busy hearts and, and we're distracted, Lord, by ambition. Uh, we're distracted by all of the things that fill will fill the rest of this day. Some of us are, are really distracted by the events of last week. And so we would ask, Lord, that by your Spirit's power, there would just be this uh, letting go that would happen where we become free of the things that entangle us and open and eyes open and ears open and hearts open to hear from you. Lord, I pray that there would be a great sense in us that in the things that ensnare our lives right now, the relationships and the circumstances, that you are here, that you are near, that you are pursuing us, that you have something for us, that it's by design, that there's good in it, Lord, that you are not passive, that you are active, that you are not powerless, that you are powerful, Lord, and that we can count on your goodness to wash over all of the things right now that are in our life. Lord, open our hearts up to your voice. May there be a great sense that you are pursuing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start Daniel chapter 12, uh, remember where we found Daniel last week. And Daniel, I mean, there's so, it's a short book, but there's not really anything recorded about Daniel in the sense of a significant failing, right? I mean, Daniel keeps his nose clean, and yet in Daniel 11, we find him on the verge of despair. Remember, he has seen the futility of his people. He has seen his hopes and dreams for his people fall flat. And it says for 21 days, he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep. He withdraws from society, withdraws from responsibility. I think, as we said last week, you imagine him curled up in a ball in his bed with his big blanket over him and his thumb in his mouth. Discouraged. In despair. And some of you have been there, and I hope that that was meaningful to you to realize you're not the only one. And then this week, again, this great man of the Lord, this pillar of faith, is face to face with the reality that God doesn't always answer all of our questions when we want, sometimes, if at all. And I know that many of us can relate to that too. Uh, if we just raised our hands and said, significant questions we have of the Lord. We have many of them this morning, don't we? Why has he allowed these certain events that have transpired? Why has he allowed that to happen? Why has he allowed this thing with my brother, with my sister, with my mother, with my father, my son, my daughter, with my grandkids? Why, is, why has he allowed this? Doesn't he have power over those things? Why would he do that? And so we just want to see from the book of Daniel that it, in these moments of brokenness, there's a profound invitation to not run from it, to not avoid it, to not try to belittle it, to not try to navigate it with our wisdom, uh, but rather to hear from the Lord in it. That he doesn't pull us out of the fire, he goes through the fire with us. So if you're here this morning, uh, it's unanswered questions of the Lord, or maybe your own 
season of despair or difficulty, I would just say uh, there's hope uh, and that what we're going to see is that the best is yet to come. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to start with the first three verses. The first three verses are really a continuation of last week, last week being Gabriel presenting about 500 years of history to Daniel, all prophecy at that time. Remember, we said there was about 135 already fulfilled prophecies in that chapter. And then there's a significant amount of the text given to Antichrist or end times, the events that precede Jesus' second coming. And so as we read the first three verses of this chapter, it's sort of the capstone. It's putting a finishing touch on what we heard last week about Antichrist, about end times, about the things that will characterize that season. Daniel chapter 12, 1, 2, and 3. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. Michael, of course, is the archangel referenced in Jude 9. The great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen, never been since there was the nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose names shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall, be, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we have a, just a little bit of a summary, if you will, of this period of Antichrist. Remember we said that Daniel's 70th week, or the events immediately preceding Jesus' return, constitute about seven years. We said that Antichrist will come. He'll make a peace treaty of some sort uh, by force, uh, by deception. Remember, Revelation 13 records the posture of people at that time where it says, who can stand against this beast? Who can stand up to him? Who can match his might? And so by force, by deception, he'll create a peace treaty and then three and a half years into that break the treaty and that unleashes this period of tribulation on the earth of which daniel 1 says of which the world has never seen and so the first thing that we see out of this text is that this end time period is marked by the ravaging of god's people the ravaging of god's people in matthew 24 jesus says something uh, unfortunately eerily familiar he says this in verse 21 for then there will be a great tribulation he's explaining to his followers what's going to happen and he says after you've seen all these things then there will be a great tribulation such has not been from the beginning of the world until now no and never will be and he says and if those days had not been cut short no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short those days will be cut short. Consider what we have seen just in the history of, described in the book of Daniel and in the history since, the evils against the Jewish people. We talked about Antiochus Epiphanes around 170 A.D. Slaughters almost 80,000 Jews. We're familiar with the number almost 6 million, right, Jews in the Holocaust. And Jesus and the, the angel in Daniel 12 say that the tribulation is going to be unlike anything that the world has ever seen. Isn't that in some part just terrifying? I mean, just imagine that that was going to happen, that you knew that it was going to happen in 10 years. 10 years. You had 10 years to get ready for it. What would you do differently? What would you 
what would sort of training would you give to your kids? What would you talk about in advance of them? What kind of preparations would you make? How would that change the way you go about your daily business uh, for the next 10 years if you knew that that was going to happen 10 years from now? The weight of it is enormous. Sometimes when we read about judgment, sometimes when we read about uh, end times and the wickedness that will be pervasive prior to Jesus' return, we think, this sounds like too much. Doesn't it sometimes just sound like too, too much judgment, too much violence, too much death, almost like it's, it's hard to reconcile this with a good God? Don't we feel that way sometimes? One of the things that's interesting as it relates to salvation, the posture of Scripture is not how could God keep someone out of heaven. The posture of Scripture is how could a good God let anyone into heaven, right? It's not how could he keep people out. The posture of Scripture is how could he let anyone in? When we understand how wicked and how undeserving we are, how could he let anyone in? Uh, Romans captures this thought in chapter 3, verses 11, 12, talking about all Jews, all Greeks, all of humanity, Paul writes, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. I could go on, but I I think you get the point. The posture of scripture with salvation is not how could God keep people out of heaven. The posture of scripture, that's that's what we fixate on, how could God let anyone in? The posture of scripture as it relates to judgment is not how could God allow punishment? The posture of scriptures, how could God tolerate to be near any of us for any period of time? How could God allow any of us to escape judgment? And so we see with the tribulation that there's this restraining of God's mercy on humanity such that the working out of humanity's choices over time such that the seeds that humanity has planted bloom and blossom. Um, Essentially, they've made their bed, and now they must sleep in it. Interesting, we see that God never, ever gives up on his people. Even in the great tribulation, there will be people coming to Christ. Even at this dire moment for humanity, he will continue to pursue people. He will continue to equip saints to pursue people. It's remarkable, even in allowing the choices that people have made to come to fruition, he is still going to pursue. He never gives up on us. Not only will Israel be ravaged, we're going to see that Israel and all God's people will be rescued. The text says that some are going to die during this tribulation. Some are going to be used by the Lord to help others come to faith. We're going to read about the book of life, and that's mentioned in Revelation 20 as well. And and if you're familiar with that term, the Lamb's book of life, what we understand is that to be the the book where the Lord has written all the names of those who are part of his family. Not all the names who have attended a church service or all the names who come from quote-unquote Christian families. These are all the names of the people who are Christ followers. And in John's day, a city had a registry, a list of people who were citizens of the city, And if you committed certain crimes, your name could be blotted out of that registry. And that meant that you were no longer entitled to the protection or to the benefits afforded citizens of that community. And so we understand that all of those who follow Christ, their names are written in the book of life. 
And the first few verses of Daniel 12 remind us that all of those people will be rescued. If those people die during the tribulation, they will be raised and they will see Christ. If they endure through it, they will see him and be part of his earthly reign, the thousand-year period following the great tribulation. We see that God's rescuing efforts are ongoing. In the book of Romans, we understand that there will be a spiritual revival among national Israel, a, a swell of spiritual renewal that will come about. We see that God is continually pursuing his people over and over and over. And it's interesting because throughout Scripture we see his people defy and disobey and reject him, don't we? We, we talked extensively about the patriarchs, about Abraham especially. How many times did Abraham blow it? How many times, if you were God, would you say, I'm done with Abraham, new plan? We talked about a little bit of the wilderness and the Israelites wandering, uh, Moses' leadership. How many times, if you're God, would you say, I'm done with the Israelites, I'm done with the grumbling, I'm done with the complaining, new plan? But the judges and the kings, it only took three kings before, remember, the nation was divided between the north and the south, and then it just got worse. How many times, if you were God, would you say, I'm done with this new plan? And so we see that even at the very end, even in, during the tribulation, uh, there is a rescuing that happens where God is cons continually pursuing his people. We're reminded that he never gives up on us and the best is yet to come. Finally, we're going to see that Israel is rewarded after this time. All God's people, Jews and Gentiles alike, all true followers of Christ will be rewarded. And we understand that part of that reward is what's called the millennial reign. It's a thousand year period when Jesus comes again after the tribulation with a, essentially a Christ-centric rule of order where he rules and reigns on earth. Revelation talks more about this chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20 is a fun verse, to, just a chapter to read in general. Read it when you get a second. Let me read just verses 4 through 6. It talks briefly about this millennial period and about the privileged position that the saints get. The privileged position those who have endured during the tribulation get privileged position even those who lose their life during this time will get starting at verse 4 of chapter 20 it says then i saw on thrones and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed some will be placed in seats where they are judges also i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of jesus and for the word of god and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. It is going to look bleak for a time. And the message of Daniel is that nothing exists outside of the rule and the power of God. Nothing exists outside of the rule and the power of God. And even though it's going to feel like all of earth is against and above and beyond the rule and the power of God for a short period of time, the message is the best is yet to come. What would it mean in our lives to be saturated with the truth that nothing in our lives exists outside of the power 
and the rule of our good God. He doesn't pull us out of the fire, that he walks through the fire with us. The point is that he has rule over all, and so our response to that is to stand firm. You guys missed it, but first service when Robert and Erica were up here, Eliana was holding on to Robert, and for just a minute, he kind of tried to hand her to Erica. Eliana wasn't having it. Eliana wanted to be in daddy's hands, and so this sweet, tiny little girl is, is clinging to daddy, and she's up in front of a bunch of people, the microphone's up here, all sorts of things that are terrifying for 99.9% of us, but she's in daddy's arms. She feels safe. She's comfortable. She's okay. She's oblivious to what's going on around her because she's in daddy's arms. And so the sense that we get from the entire book of Daniel is that our father has power and rule over all things. Nothing exists outside of his power and rule. And we are safe when we are in daddy's hands. Like Eliana this morning, we are safe when we are in daddy's hands. It's not Eliana's ability to hold on to her dad, right? It's Robert's ability as the father to hold on to her. It's his strength that holds on to her and keeps her there securely. It's our father's strength that holds us, that keeps us securely. Now, Daniel hears these words, and Daniel doesn't get it all. And I hope that's comforting to you because most of us have had this experience throughout the book of Daniel of, I, I don't get it all. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I missed a step or two. So, so welcome to the club. You're in great company if you're there. You're in great company with Daniel, with the rest of us. Um, and so Daniel's going to get an explanation. Verses 4 through 13 uh, go into this dialogue. And um, I want you to see that Daniel's not going to get all his questions answered. Right? We're not promised in life all the answers to all our questions. We're promised his presence, right? We're not promised the answers to all of our questions. Let's pick up Daniel 12, pick it up in verse 4. Uh, see if we can pick up some of the things that the angel directs Daniel to do in response to what he's seen and heard. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the end of the time. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So there's the first one. Preserve what you've heard. Write it down. Protect it. Preserve it. Pass it on. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on one bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Okay, so... Here's the picture. Daniel's standing by a stream. Uh, there's an angel on one side, an angel on another side. Verses 6 and 7 talk about a man clothed in linen. That's often verbiage used to describe Jesus. So there's a good reason to believe that that's Jesus hovering above the waters. One of the angels who's, who's heard all this says, Whoa, I don't understand. How long will it be until all these things have happened? You've got to imagine Daniel saying, Yes, I, I don't get it either. Good, I'm glad someone else doesn't get it. Please explain. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. There's that time, times, and a half a time, that three and a half year mark that we've seen in at least six places in scripture to describe the tribulation period. And that when the shattering 
of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Can you relate to that at all in the book of Daniel? I heard, he says, but I did not understand. Then I said, this is Daniel, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And so you can kind of see Daniel saying, I've heard a lot. Some of this is really scary. I'm not sure what's happening. Can you, can you just get down? Can you simplify? Pretend like I'm a kindergartner. Repeat it again as if I'm a kindergartner. What is the point of all this? He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, maybe you read that clearer than I do, but that doesn't sound like a great explanation. That doesn't just cause me to go, oh, that, that makes sense. I get it all now. Do you see that, that Daniel doesn't get all of the answers that he was looking for? And in fact, there's two new numbers of days listed here that are actually longer than the days that we've heard before. So, so you, you might make the case he, he kind of gets more questions than answers. Interestingly enough, the message to Dan, Daniel is to preserve, to record, to seal, to protect, to pass this along and to go about his business, to go about living the life that he's been called to live and to persevere to the end. And then the verse, the text ends with saying, uh, and you will live to a good old age. You will go the way of your fathers and you will stand in your allotted place at the end of time. In the sense that these things are decreed, Daniel, go and live faithfully to what you've been called to today. And so one of the things that happens when we see these days and we see apocalyptic literature and we, the book of Daniel and we get into the book of Revelation, it just opens a floodgate of questions. And I think that those are great questions. We want to explore those. We want to be studious of them. We want to understand this to the degree that the Lord has made things clear. But at some sense, Daniel is told to not let his curiosity about tomorrow keep him from his purpose today. At some level, with all that has been given to Daniel, he's told to not let his curiosity about tomorrow, not let his fear about tomorrow, keep him from his purpose today. I might ask you, uh, what keeps you from your purpose today? What makes it hard to stand firm and to live faithfully today with the calling that God has put on your life, with the relationships that he's put around you, with the circumstances that he's permitted or that he's brought into your life? What makes it difficult to live that way to stand firm today. Maybe you're like Daniel, and one of the things that is difficult for you is all of your unanswered questions. Right? Daniel raises his hand and says, I've got more questions. And then I imagine when he was done with those questions, he had 15 others that he was getting ready to ask. If you're here today and it's your unanswered questions that cause you to have a hard time to stand firm and to fix your eyes on Christ, would you not let your fear, your concern about the future, your unanswered questions keep you from your purpose today?
For some of us, it's not unanswered questions. It's simply unfulfilled expectations. In some way, we have the sense that God has let us down. I was talking with Zach, our five-year-old, on Friday, and he asked how we would see a miracle from God. And then we started to talk about prayer, and I thought this is going to be a great fatherly moment where I'm going to feel like I'm making some progress with my five-year-old. And he undid that real fast and said, well, I've been praying for my foot, and I've been praying for my nose, and they haven't gotten any better. And so his message to me was, God didn't fix my foot, so there must not be a God. God didn't fix my foot, so he must not be relevant. God didn't fix my foot and, and fix my nose, so what use is all of that? I think if we're honest, uh, many of us have a lot of things that we have desired of the Lord that for one reason or another have not come to fruition. And maybe the posture of our heart has been to either pout uh, or to get out. And the message that you would give to my five-year-old is, is you would say, Jesus has given us everything already. He is not a genie uh, at our whim. He's a God. Uh, that we serve, and sometimes we just need to be reminded he's a God that we serve because we have an inflated view of ourselves, and so often a deflated view of God, and that causes us to come to him entitled. It causes us to come to him demanding. It causes us to come to him expecting him to do for us. For some of you, standing firm is hard because of your ambition. You're busy. We have busy and restless hearts, especially at this time of the season. I see it in my own life what I want for myself, what I want for our family, what I want for this church, and often what I want, what I want, what I want gets in the way of what God wants. Because I'm fixated on this path, I'm fixated on these tasks, I'm fixated on these objectives, and God's got something over here saying, come on, come on, I'm waiting. As you think about the busyness of even last week, were you attentive to the Lord's voice? As you think about the busyness of last week, did you stop and pause and ask the Lord how he might want to use you in the interactions with family. What might have been his purpose for you hosting or not hosting, for you traveling or not traveling, for you enjoying your time, for you not enjoying your time. The message to Daniel is to don't let your fear of the future or your curiosity about the future get in the way of going and living faithfully today. The angel also says, Daniel, seal these words up, preserve them, protect them, and pass them on. How many of you are equipped to preserve them, to protect them, and pass them on? How many of you know this well enough to pass it on, know the Lord well enough to pass something that you've learned on to somebody else? Kind of makes me think of coffee. A lot of things make me think of coffee. Um, if you love coffee, you know the smell of beans being ground. It's a good smell, right? It's a good smell. It's almost as good as when the hot water absorbs into the coffee grounds and the coffee starts to seep through the filter and into the coffee pot, right? And the smell just explodes through the house, which is almost as good as when you get your cup in your hand, your first cup. And maybe it's a drizzly gray, cold, Roseburg fall day. Not winter, fall. And then your first drink, and the day goes from black and white to color, and you become aware that there's other people in your house, and you become aware that you're awake. And so if you love coffee, 
the aroma, the taste, the warmth, all of it, it's good, it's real, uh, it's an experience. If you've never had a cup of coffee, and if you don't like coffee, you hear people talk about it, and you're like, you guys are crazy. It's gross. It's gross. Why would you drink that? Especially black. <laughs> some of us know it, experience it, love it, and some of us have heard about it, don't really get it, but we understand that for some people, having something warm to drink and hold on to could be nice on a cold day. Some of us know and experience and enjoy and love the Lord, and there's a deep relationship there. And some of us just get that for some people, God is a useful thing. Religion is maybe helpful for them, gives them something to hold on to, but we don't really get it. So my encouragement to you is to get into the Word, to be students of it for yourselves, to know the God, not just to know about Him, to know Him, not just to know about Him. And Are you able to pass it on? Do you have a relationship with the Lord that you can pass on? Do you have knowledge of his word that you can preserve and pass on? There's a lot of different ways that that can happen. It happens between parents and kids, grandparents. You've got a really special part to play in passing that on to your grandkids. If your grandkids are watching you and your adult sons and daughters are watching you, they won't tell you it. Well, they'll complain. (laughs) They'll tell you things they don't like, but they're watching you too. You have a lot to pass on. If you're here and you're not sure who you're passing anything on to, would you just ask the Lord each day for the next week, Lord, bring me someone to pass on something to. You don't even have to know what you're going to pass on necessarily. Just say, Lord, bring me someone to pass something on to. Something that the Lord has done in your life, has showed you, power that you've seen, his word that he brings to your memory, and be prepared to share it with someone else. There's opportunities here. You can get involved in a million things. It's not just childcare that's happening back there, right? We're molding and shaping and forming uh, pre-followers of Christ, children who will one day become followers of Jesus. We're passing something on back there, passing something on with our youth, with our young adults, passing something on. Daniel's told to protect it, to preserve it, to, to seal it, and to pass it along. Who are you passing it along to? purpose of Daniel is to help us to see that nothing exists outside of the rule, the power, the kingdom of our God, and that in response to who he is, like Eliana with Robert, we cling and we can stand firm, not because of our strength, but because of his. And so we walk through the book of Daniel, uh, remember all the ways that he's shown his power. In Daniel 1, you remember the king's orders to eat the food that was sacrificed to idols to eat the food that would have not been kosher. And Daniel and his friends are forced to either cave to outside pressure or risk their lives. And God shows his power over outside pressure by giving them favor with the king and the governor and blessing this unusual diet so that they grow in wisdom and in stature. We see God's power over outside forces. For some of you, it's outside pressures that make it really hard to stand firm for the Lord. It might be a family member. It might be a spouse. It might be kids. It might be parents. It might be just the weight of culture. It might be your coworkers. That outside pressure makes it hard to stand firm. God shows his power over outside pressures. In Daniel chapter 2, we see uh, the king, and he's got this dream, and none of his uh, 
wise people, wise persons can uh, interpret it. And so he orders all of them to be executed. Apparently that, that made sense. And we see God's power over that threat in Daniel's life because God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream and he walks into the king confident, not confident in his ability, but confident in his God. And we see God's power over threats. We see God's power even over kings. Daniel 3, you remember when his friends were thrown into the fire. You remember what they said in verses 17, 18, and 19 of chapter 3. King, we don't have to give an answer to you. Our God can protect us from the fire. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your idol. God showed his power over the fire. God showed his power over this king who opposed them and their faith in God. Some of you feel great pressure by those who oppose your faith in God. For some of you, it came up over Thanksgiving. For some of you, you anticipate it coming up over Christmas. God has power over those who oppose his people. Daniel 5 is the writing on the wall. This great season of transition from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire. Will Daniel get lost in the shuffle? Is all that he's worked to do going to be for naught? And God elevates him in Babylon, and God elevates him with the Medo-Persian king. And we see that even in great transition, God has power over the transitional seasons of our life. God has power over kings and over nations. God has power to use us even when we feel like we're beyond being used. Daniel 6, he's targeted. That was Daniel in the lion's den. God chose his power over the lions. God chose his power over those that targeted and opposed him. Some of you feel targeted and opposed. God has power over those who target and oppose you. God has power over the things that we believe have power over us. What would it look like if it's totally saturated our hearts that there is nothing that exists in life outside of the rule and the reign of our good Father? What would that do to our uh, attitude when we wake up in the morning? What would that do in our relationships? The last five chapters of Daniel, we see these visions. Well, we see numbers. We see beasts, we see wars, we see things that devour other things. Uh, we see scary things, we see encouraging things. Daniel's got a lot of unanswered questions, and even as these chapters are playing out, even as he's being given these visions, he's seeing things happen that cause him to despair. And God says, Daniel, give it all to me. These are my burdens, Daniel, not yours. Where do you need to hear from the Lord today? These are my burdens, not yours. Your future is mine, says the Lord, not yours. Your fears, your worries, your anxieties, they're mine, not yours. Daniel raises his hand and says, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm confused. Can you make it simpler? And he's told to preserve the words and pass them on and then go about living his life. How many of you know that it's a lot easier to look forward and say, God, lead me, rather than to look around today and respond to his leading? It's a lot easier to talk about being led than it is to live today being led. Daniel's got lots of questions. We've got lots of questions. God says, those are my burdens. Daniel, get on with living faithfully. Stand firm, go about your business, and persevere to the end.
we think about the next month uh, coming off of Thanksgiving and now heading into Christmas. What does it look like to entrust this time to the Lord? What does it look like to persevere in this time, to not shy away from difficulty, but to trust him for it and with it and in it? To not beg him to take us out of the fire, but say, God, I know you're with me in it. Take me through the fire. Open my eyes to what you're doing. Make me a willing and receptive participant. Make me responsive by faith. Help me to stand firm. Do you know this and can you pass it on? Are you engaged, standing firm today, believing that nothing exists outside of his power and outside of his rule? Let's pray. Lord God, there is so much that is scary. There are so many things, Lord, that can derail what we think we're about, what we think is important. Lord, I pray for those here who are in a a season of difficulty. Lord, where their powerlessness is more clear maybe now than ever before. May we find together that when we are weak, Lord, then you are strong. And Lord, we would even invite you to bring us to this point because we need to be aware, Lord, of our shortcomings. We need to be aware of our powerlessness so that we will just cling, Lord, like Eliana to Robert today, that we will just cling to you, trusting that nothing exists outside of your power and your rule. And because of that, we can stand firm. Lord, hold us tight. We thank you that your word promises you will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.